0: good for my heart but he's bad for business tears me Hey everybody. This is a mini pod to you, but this is about baseball. If you're looking for the football one, it is out there. It's on the Patreon. It should be in your feed. Um, just go one show up or down, and you should find it But um, if, th- if that's what you're looking for. But if you want to hear about um, the credit council situation, which I didn't get to talk about because I was not on the show last week, um, I wanted to just do that really quickly because um, I feel like it's been over— it's hard to tweet about. Like, there's lots of good—well, and well, there's no good guys. lots of bad guys on this situation to varying degrees. And there's been a tendency to want to pick sides, and some people are blaming Council for being a traitor because he went to the rival, and um, some are blaming, I think, more fairly, Atanasio. But the fact is, there's a lot of blame here. And uh, to kick things off, I think it's useful to understand Atanasio at a higher level. There's going to be a lot of speculation here. I could be wrong about this, but um, I deal with a lot of rich people and have in my day, and I think I have a good insight into like why they sometimes are, why they're successful but then fail, um, why they make bad decisions in certain instances. And what happened with the council decision, uh, I think, is sort of the culmination, at least a little bit of a descent from a sort of well-run progressive baseball team and organization into a little bit of a clown show. We got, we got some clown show signs showing up. And um, more than anything, I think uh, Jonathan Judge kind of sums it up best with a very short tweet that he did, which was, Now, the whole thing is just very sad, a miserable day for many, and I think that's true, because baseball is supposed to be fun, and it is a business, as we're reminded all too frequently, Um, but this is definitely an instance where business is messing up fun, and that is... The worst of all worlds, Um, there's been too much business around the Brewers this last year, generally speaking, between uh, new stadium deals and a lot of turnover, and we'll get to. But let's go to another Jonathan thing real quick, which is uh, another tweet he had in the, the situation after. Sometimes a person is fortunate enough to make a few great hires and unfortunately concludes that the real genius is the person who hired them, not the employees themselves. And this often doesn't end well. And I think that that is fundamentally the situation that we have here with Atanasio. I think he is a certain kind of finance guy that I'm going to go into in a second. And uh, understanding about how he kind of came to power sheds a lot of light on what's going on behind the scenes there. Um, And... Um, that's at a high level. I think where we want to start things off. So, um, I mentioned on the pod last week, Mark ananasio is a lawyer. Uh, he's a graduate of Columbia Law School, and he did practice for a short amount of time for a big, uh, M and A firm in New York called I don't know how to pronounce it actually, but I believe it's voice and Plimpton. There might be a French way to say that. Don't care. Um, I don't do that law. Never worked with them, and I'm sure they're fine. Um. Uh, on their current docket. Um they they have they brag about the fact that they assisted the Democratic Party with one of Trump's impeachments and they're currently working with uh Steve Cohen, the Mets owner, um, on uh, the team golf league setup, which sounds weird. Again, I don't care about that. But you know, big firm could have done well there if you would have stayed there, would have made a lot of money. But um doing transactional and MA work uh uh is a good way to go for a lawyer. But he decided that he wanted to get into finance instead. He quit after three years, and uh, he, he joined a very, very famous financial firm. I think a lot of people know this, but if you don't, it's at least a little interesting. Um, he he, drew, he joined uh, Drexel Burnham Lambert, and if you don't know about that investment bank in particular, um, where Mark Atanasio joined, moved uh, f- from the M&A group at his law firm into the High Yield Instruments group at Drexel Burnham Lambert, um, you should know that they're very, very famous for the 80s and early 90s junk bond scandal. And if you don't know what that is, and by the way, really quick, Mark Atanasio did not have anything to do with the junk bond scandal. Even though he did work in high-yield bonds and junk bonds, I want to be very clear because uh, I'm going to say bad things about Mark Atanasio, but this is not one of them. Uh, He was too junior to be uh, responsible for this. But this is a very, very famous part of American financial history. Um, the the scandal uh, that was caused essentially by Ivan Bosky and Mike Milken, um, who, who uh, were both like sort of well, finance guys, but also like kind of um right wing finance philosophers, libertarian finance philosophers. Mike Milken famously didn't like all the regulations that were placed on investment banks, and then basically set out to prove why they should be there. There was a lot of insider trading that went on. Um. This is, uh, uh, like, uh, the firm didn't survive it. Also of interest, by the way. Uh, The lawsuit, the investigation that brought down the firm and eventually ended up targeting Mike Milken uh, was run by the... uh, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, who that's the district that goes after finance people, generally speaking, uh, in one of the first big RICO cases. RICO uh, is, is a federal provision that's meant to take down organized crime. Uh, it allows further assets to be frozen, and it was run by Rudy Giuliani, who was the U.S. attorney at the time. So um, without Rudy Giuliani going after this firm, we might not have Mark you know? Um, But long story, by, by the way, go, if you're more interested in that, that's a very short version and maybe not quite correct. Go read up on it. I'm sure there's a million podcasts on it. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I got the gist of it, but um, there's only so much that I care about financial history from the 90s at this point. Um, but the bottom line is this: uh, Drexel, the firm, was not able to survive this, and um, the junk bond market collapsed. Um, the high yield market. I should. That's loaded. The high yield market collapsed. High high yield things are. Um, well, we'll get to that in a second, and this led to Mark Atanazio's actual big break, um, because he did have his legal background, and because he worked in the high yield division uh, at Drexel, uh, he became one of the surviving employees to essentially be the executor or one of the executor, uh, you know, assistants. To, he, he ran the bankruptcy estate. Like when companies go bankrupt, they still sit on a ton of assets, um, and there is a. Uh, you, you go to court, and there's an order determined about who gets access to those assets. They sat on about $2 billion worth of assets, and it was Adonazio's job with a couple other guys to dis- determine how those would get distributed to the companies that had claims to them. And um, th- that is a, is, first of all, a highly technical job, and it's an interesting one to learn. And Atenasio's, I think, uh, it's not a unique background. A lot of guys are lawyers in the finance <laughs> industry, um, but The fact that he got to work on the back end um, is, I think, a really, really useful thing to do for someone who's interested in starting their own firm, dealing with these sorts of assets, because um, it really helps you to quantify exactly what the risks are should things not go correctly, and um, how to set things up to minimize risk. Finance, um, a lot of people think about as sort of maximizing returns, but it's much more about minimizing risk. and. When you're dealing in high yield assets which are risky you you get the high yield because there's a good chance they'll go bankrupt um or at least you know a higher than average chance that they'll go bankrupt um understanding the downside is sort of the key to the whole thing and running a bankruptcy where you see who the creditors were and where they were placed how they got to be placed in those positions is super useful Uh, ananasio leveraged that to start his own firm crescent capital um which is how he made all of his big money after the fact a highly successful firm it's been bought and sold a few times it's it's been merged and unmerged with like true company of the west tcw um and some other places but that's that company which he formed in the aftermath of the drexel bankruptcy is why mark atanasio is rich they control a huge 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 ton of assets um he's still an employee there even though he sold it off i don't know what the deal is not a big deal um but anyway, it's I think it's always useful to know how guys got rich. Um like with Elon, like e- people always go back to like his parents being rich, which true. Um, but the reason Elon's rich, I think, is super interesting because it's actually because he was part of the PayPal merger, um, the, uh, not the, the creation of PayPal, which is a merger of a couple different companies. Um, and he ran it poorly. He got fired from it, and it was taken over by Peter Thiel, an equally evil but much smarter billionaire, um, who <laughs> who turned it around. And since Elon still owned a good chunk of the company, he benefited from the turnaround. Now um, I- I'm. I don't like Elon, but he uh, he is a a better businessman than sort of the uh, the popular press makes him out to be, <laughs> uh, and he's good at a, a few things. But like I, I always think that fact is interesting that he fundamentally failed in a way that still made him rich, and uh, you know would take whatever lesson you want from that. Adonazio, by all accounts, did a good job running his finance company, um, but I think it's useful to understand. What it's like to be in high-yield assets a little bit, and what these deals are like. So, when you're doing M&A legal work, um, you are often doing the well. You're doing a lot of paperwork, but you're also negotiating on sort of an even playing field with a lot of the uh, the merger parties that you're dealing with Um, in finance, and especially in the high-yield like junk bond area. Um, you're often dealing from much more of a position of strength if you have to talk to anybody at all. Um, A lot of that, that's going to be paper deals, but when when you're trying to raise money through a high-yield bond or a high-yield asset, you are automatically, just by nature, not in a good position. You are having to take on a higher interest rate to raise capital, and people that are having to take on a higher interest rate to raise capital are fundamentally in a worse position than someone who has to take on a, you know, they they will have to have a lower interest rate to take on capital. Um, The person giving the capital uh, is in the driver's seat here um, because you get to dictate that the capital is needed. You're 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 making some concessions to get it, um, and if you're the one giving the money, you get to dictate a lot of the terms. You'll probably you'll often get to dictate um, you know other things above and beyond simple interest rates, and you'll get to dig into more information because you want to be really as sure as you can that there's a sound reason to be lending the money. Um, it's it, it is a good position for someone who likes to deal from a position of strength and it may sound easy like oh um like it first of all it is harder to deal from a position of weakness but uh it takes a certain type to deal from a position of strength and it does take kind of a ruthless person a ruthless entity um because in the world of finance it's still your job to get the most out of your deal and um you know this is not an area where uh, you may be dealing from a position of strength you want the the company to succeed you don't want them to go bankrupt but you still want to get the most return out of that and so you're going to drive a hard bargain and you're really going to you know put your boot down in terms of um exerting leverage uh to ensure that that deal works out as much as possible and um in that particular in, like uh, you know CEOs finance guys whatever don't have exactly have a reputation for being nice um but a lot of the soft skills that you'll see from like big corporate CEOs uh, who have to have a big public-facing persona that's not insane. A lot of them are bad at that, but that's what a lot of them are supposed to be doing. (laughs) It doesn't really exist here. This is very cutthroat. Uh, This is very, like, return is everything. You don't have to um, give big speeches to a bunch of employees. You're not dealing with a bunch of, like, uh, unions with power on the other side. You're not dealing with um, a whole bunch of things that kind of curb... um, the worst impulses of big business at all. Atanasio, I mean, law firms aren't good for that either, and he worked there too. So um, Atanasio is from that world, and most of his businesses will run fine with that guy in charge. Uh, But then we come to baseball, and baseball is, on the front office side, also a pretty cutthroat business, uh, but you are not the sole Orderer of how things operate. Even if you own a team, you have to do. Uh, you have people you answer to now. You have to answer to the other owners in a lot of ways. You have a, a strong union exerting forces on the other side, and of course, there's a big PR component to this. And uh, honestly, Adonazio has been pretty good at it for a lot of his tenure publicly. Um, you know, it, he shows up to games. He seems affable. There's his dad singing. Um, God bless America, or whatever that thing is. Um, so it's not like he's hopeless. And, you know, even even the most cutthroat guys realize that, that you need to have some PR acumen when you are public-facing. Uh, but behind the scenes, I think we have enough evidence on how the Brewers run uh, to conclude that, a it's not the greatest work environment and um and <laughs> i know enough people who've touched the team uh at some level to to i think be able to confidently state that but aside from like people at lower levels on the team um recent events have shown us that there are some issues with the relationships that atanasio has built there um and uh, Council is obviously the newest and obvious one, but we should go back to David Stearns, too. And uh, David Stearns uh, is a Harvard guy, uh, but he's been in baseball his entire career and is very much a baseball guy. Uh, he is baseball cutthroat, but I doubt David Stearns is, you know, a high yield finance bro cutthroat. And uh, I also have a, a hunch that he cares probably more about winning. And about riskier baseball investments than Atanasio does. Like it's Stern's job. Uh, it was Stern's job. It still is at the other team to um, turn the money he has into wins at a high rate. But Atanasio's job is, I think, much more along the lines of uh, only spend money after good money, not bad money. And those are at you know those are at odds. And we've seen the Brewers. Uh, be cheap in some ways, especially after like having a failed contract like is beyond the books. Um, again, they're not the cheapest team in the league by any stretch of the imagination. It's not like Athanasio doesn't spend at all. Um, but I do suspect some of their uh, th- that they came t- to uh, a head over sort of that level of philosophy. and I suspect that one of the reasons Stearns is gone is that. But the other thing is, and this is where it all started, um, Stearns sticking around as that consultant. Uh, Atanasio making him honor like most of his contract, not to the quite the bitter end, but almost to the bitter end. That's not good policy. That is bad a people policy, and it is bad policy in terms of attracting new talent. Um, if you come to a ha- like, if you got a guy who wants to leave and you want to keep him, um, the way you want to handle that fundamentally is to have a conversation about and ask, hey, uh, what? could we do differently? And if the answer is something that you can't do differently or you don't want, like your philosophy is different, then you say, all right, um, I understand your position on this. If you have other opportunities, um, uh, I totally understand you wanting to take them. It's not the way we want to go, but we respect what you did and blah, blah, blah. And you let them go because the next guy that you hire, um, you want to you want to attract capital that you know values that kind of flexibility, that kind of transparency, all that jazz. And that did not happen with Sterns. Um, by all accounts, the Stern's leaving was acrimonious, that uh, Adonazio uh, stuck it to him by making him stick around, and you know that is fundamentally not a good thing. The other thing he's done that uh, happens far too often with rich folk generally is inserted his son into the business operations, and we talk about fail sons a lot, often in a jokey manner, um, but there are real consequences to having your um your non-qualified kid doing work in your business and not all not all kids are unqualified uh there are obviously instances when the sun is just fine but by and large we should err on the side of assuming that nepotism hires are bad because there's obviously a huge amount of bias built into those nepotism hires i think that just makes intuitive sense to everybody and um he doesn't have baseball operations stuff that we know of so far but uh, it's not good. It also I think speaks to how Atanasio views the team. Baseball teams are very safe assets and well, I don't know that they're going to be for much longer, but for the last you know x decades, if you if you've bought a baseball team, you've been able to sell it for like a hundred times what you bought it for and that's been pretty consistent. Yeah, it's worth like five times what he bought it for right now, six times what he bought it for. And so um, it's a good place, uh, like if you got a kid who you want to teach how how some kind of business works, uh, involving him in your baseball team, it may cost you wins and it may... Teach him the lesson of, oh, you screwed up and your team is losing. Um, it, it, it will not it will not actually hurt you financially very much. Uh, if you do lose, you can cut payroll and your asset will still be worth a lot, especially if you get a bunch of stadium money. Um, and if you do win, so much the better. And then your kid looks like a wonder and now your legacy is safe and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I will also tell you, people don't like it when your kid starts ordering them around. Um, it looks like you are playing favorites, which you are. It looks very unearned. It just looks like uh, it's not a good thing to do in terms of just um, your workforce happiness. It's not good for retention. It's not good for a lot of stuff. And and, um, Mike Atanasio being involved in the organization and seemingly getting more involved in the organization every day is bad. So um, with Council, once Stern's left... I do like Matt Arnold, obviously, took over. He's in charge of stuff, but I do wonder if Council's sort of uh, experience started to suffer more at that point. I'm guessing it was already suffering a little bit. Having to answer to the owner is a lot different than having to answer to the GM, who you're on the same page with. Um, and I do wonder if the workplace environment just wasn't very good at some point. Um, it doesn't seem like it would be very good. It seems like if you got to step into a room with that guy all the time, um, it's probably pretty unpleasant. Um, And so I suspect that everything here is more long-standing than just like, um, oh, Craig had like a bad season or blah, blah, blah. Like, Craig was obviously thinking about leaving last season. He didn't sign an extension, you know? Uh, (laughs) And so uh, I think Adonazio, we have to assume is mostly at fault. There's a lot of signs about things not going well on the back end there. Um, but I don't want to totally exonerate Council here, because um, the the ending up with the Cubs thing does have a few unseemly parts to it, and we shouldn't totally dismiss them. Um, and also, like, Council, he's very competent as a manager. He's excellent at it, um, and he's been a front office guy, so he should and does, I'm sure, understand how all that stuff works. And he is a player, and he is allegedly a big union guy, um, and said all the right things. Not to say it, leaked all the right things about wanting to set the market. Um, but the the way I think everybody, including Atanasio and the team, thought this was going to go down is he was just going to go to the Mets. It was very much the, the the Brewers gave him the Sabathia offer, which is what we call what we should call all such offers in the future. The the Sabathia offer. Which once CC Sabathia left to go to the Yankees, the Brewers offered him like a hundred million dollars on the head, uh, just so they could say they made a nine figure offer. And then they got blasted by like an extra forty million dollars, and weren't even competitive. And that's what they did with uh, with Councilor. They gave him the five and a half offer, which was would have made him the highest man- paid manager, but wasn't competitive with offers on the table, you know. Um, and so it was a fake offer, and it was a fake offer. And I think the Brewers were like, "Okay, he'll go to the Mets. He'll be with Stearns. He'll get a whole bunch of money." Everybody will be happy. We'll look like we did our due diligence, blah, blah, blah. And then the Cubs swoop out of nowhere. And um, it's worth noting that there were reports that uh, the Cubs asked to interview counsel and that they were denied before November 1st. And that should have been a red flag for the Brewers when that happened. And they should have prepared better for this. um, Because I don't think they were prepared for the PR fallout from this at all. Um, But I get counsel's position here. Quite a bit more than I get Atanasio's because once once it's become clear that you are not going to get the match from the Brewers, which I think happened here. Like I think everything I just described, I literally think was the case that um, the the council did have an offer from the Mets, and that the Brewers uh, they did that the Brewers did kind of have a chance to match that one. And that once they didn't, then Council knew the score, that he was out, that it, if he was going to get paid top dollar, he was going to leave. Um, and I think the Brewers assume that would be it. But, but what do you do then when the Cubs come in? And I know a lot of people are like, we don't go to the Cubs for an extra million and a half or whatever, half, whatever. Um, but once you're out, like the Brewers have told you at this point, like, N- uh, thank you for your service, but go get your money. Uh, do you really owe them the loyalty of not going to the Cubs at that point? Um, you know, they've already told you they're not matching the Mets' lower offer. Um, I feel like you can't like give them loyalty at that point, can you? Like, I wouldn't. I honestly wouldn't. <laughs> um, if if the Bears came and offered me a bunch of money tomorrow to uh, be their GM, I would d- I would take that in a in a second. I mean, a bunch of, like a whole like you know GM real money. Um, just in case people from my job are listening, I like my job a lot. Um, but uh, it, for millions and millions and millions of dollars, I'll go do that. Um, but like. That's I, I feel like holding him to any kind of um, loyalty after they've told them they're not going to match an offer is unreasonable. Now, let's get to the council unseemly part because um, what was leaked, what we've heard is he did want to set the market. And the philosophy behind that is one of solidarity, one of uh, being a former player's union guy and wanting to make things better for his compatriots. Uh, the other managers and potential future managers who uh, he felt were underpaid, uh, under, you know, uh, underappreciated, etc. Um, that's where things get a little squishy because, of course, the Cubs had a manager. They had David Ross and he was employed and they'd just given him the old vote of confidence like two weeks ago. So, um the Cubs are totally within their rights to do this and seek out a better alternative than David Ross, which they did. But it is a little squishy, I think, for counsel to unseat a sitting manager with that philosophy in mind. Now, um, you know, it's a cutthroat business, as we've already stated, and it is what it is there. But uh, I feel like you kind of do lose some of your moral imperative if you do. Go and steal somebody's job, which he did. Um, so it does seem like there's almost an agenda there at that point, uh, because yeah, you got paid a little extra, but you also compromised your, you know, <laughs> uh, you, you compromised your ethics to do that. I would say, and um, if anybody who wants to accuse Craig of wanting to stick it to his old boss. Uh, yeah, I'm willing to listen to that. And um, well, traitorousness um, stuff, I think, is a little over the top, uh, you know, Council did a lot of compromising here, so uh, I think that's probably also fair at this point. Um, but by and large, this is just a huge breakdown of business relations across the board. The fact of the matter is, Marc Antanasio should have paid Craig Council, and I think he didn't pay him because Council actually pushed back on him, and he doesn't like it when he gets pushed back. He's not used to getting pushback. People in his industry don't push back on him with a lot of regularity. And I suspect those that do, like regulators and things like that, um, are just sort of clouding his uh, judgment on people who push back even more. Um, And so uh, I suspect he reacted poorly to Wanting uh, to council wanting to be paid the most money and uh, and not signing extensions when he could have signed extensions and I suspect Mark also thought he was a little bit of a sucker and might take a hometown discount to stay where he'd always stayed but council's ruthless <laughs> that's that's one thing we've learned um, so this is just bad all around this should have been. A hometown team keeps its hometown guy who's the best ever at his job or one of the best ever at his job and the Brewers can continue to do their cheap-ass way of winning because they have a guy who's able to implement that over and over and over again and everybody should have been happy and instead it turned into a big pissing match um, between guys who don't trust each other, I think don't like each other anymore and have grown apart philosophically and honestly, we'll see how the Brewers end up out of this because I could see them really taking it on the chin performance-wise for a while. Um, The way that they like to operate, I think, requires a council type of some kind, and those just don't fall off trees. A lot of the list of potential managers seems like a list that Atanasio or Atanasio's stupid kid um, just kind of dreamt up out of nowhere, and I'm just not sure that's going to (laughs) work. I think that they may have overestimated their own abilities to keep things running on the payroll that they prefer to pay, And that uh, we had the Atanasio comment that, uh, oh, you know, our guys say manager's not as important as all this. We have the leaks of other rival executives saying things like, I can't believe they paid that much to a guy who's never won the World Series, which is a dumb thing to say. If you say that, you shouldn't be an executive for a baseball team anymore. But, you know, those things are out there. We have an insight into Atanasio's thoughts on the subject, and those thoughts are stupid. Um, I would be very worried about the Brewers' success over the next few years, um, uh, despite everything. Like, they have good guys coming up from the the minors. The division's still kind of bad. But aside from everything else, um, from the Cubs' perspective, this is a huge, huge coup, Uh, especially if they do put any money into the payroll at all. And I'm assuming part of Craig going there was probably, hey, give me some guys. And the Ricketts saying, okay, because the Ricketts suck, too. Like, if you're leaving Atanasio because you don't like him, you're probably not going to like the Ricketts either. (laughs) Um, But I'm assuming he got some assurances that he would have more resources and that he could put his managing to good use there. And um, the fact that the rest of the division is trash, uh, maybe the Reds start to put it together a little more next year um, after, you know, starting out okay and then failing uh, maybe the, the Pirates get it together a little bit next year and you know all that jazz. Maybe the Cardinals actually like start to turn it around Cardinal-wise. But it sure as heck looks like the only good teams in the division were the Cubs and the Brewers. And you took away the Brewers' best asset and you add it to your own. And uh, if you can be extra smart and extra spendy about all the things the Brewers do, just get flamethrowers whenever you want that you can... Spam out of the bullpen, uh, build a good starting rotation, which they already kind of have, honestly. Um, leverage that, and then get like just better platoon guys plus stars. Um, I-, I won't be surprised if Council wins a World Series or two there. I think it's like a really really good matchup for them. And the other thing is Wrigley is a park you can spam a little bit too. Like that park has some intricacies, and if you put enough science to it, I think you can really make something happen there. So last thing I'll mention is uh, quantifying how good this was for um the cubs specifically and uh going one level more on uh the David Ross situation who did get fired out of all this baseball prospectus does keep manager metrics and i will confess to not knowing too much about them or how good they're predictive they are or anything like that it, uh, but they have a stat it's called w weighted rm plus uh, i assume the m is manager i don't know what the r is um but it's scaled to 100 it's a plus stat um, 100 is average. Council is the best manager. He's 105. Um, David Ross is tied for the third worst manager. He is a 98. He's tied with Gabe Kapler, in case that comes up later. Uh, they're both 98. Everybody worse than them is Brian Snicker at 97, Tor- uh, Tori Lavolo at 97, and Dave Roberts at 96. This is obviously last year's annual. I don't have next year's annual yet. That would be awesome if I did, but I don't. Um, but uh, I think it's fair to say that Dave Roberts kind of sucked. And The Cubs are using their cutthroatness to spend money to improve an area that sucks to make them better in the near term, which is what baseball teams are supposed to do. So, um, I mostly blame Antanasio. I think Craig did not do himself any favors and also compromised his ethics. There are no heroes here. There are only villains. Um, But uh, the way things are going in Milwaukee, I think, are bad. There are a lot of signs of organizational breakdown, of too much owner meddling, and... um, The rumors that have been coming out lately about possibly selling off more assets, um, getting that payroll down, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark is maybe looking to sell the team post-stadium deal and uh, get out of this entirely. He has soccer interests now, and he's never seemed super into the baseball thing in the first place. If if you go read old interviews with him um, from business people... um, like this, I feel like uh, Columbia alum interviews and things he's done. It really does. He talks about it like an investment that's cool, and I think it's cool to own, and I think if it wins, it's a bonus. But if it doesn't, it's just that he has a cool baseball team, um, and he ex- expects to make a lot of money um, on it, and that's kind of that. So um, I'll leave it at that since I wasn't on the show. That's how I feel about it. It's more complicated than a tweet, um, but it's a bad situation, and teams that have bad situations often have bad performance on the field as well. And uh, I think that we may be in for that for at least a couple of years, not more.